Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning, Calvary. They were walking down the busy streets of New York City and did not expect to see what they came across. Right there on an entrance to a busy park, there was just a blackboard that stood there and chalk and an invitation at the top of the blackboard that just simply said, write your greatest regret. People, as they were just walking by, would see it and stop right on the board. Each one's different, right? Because everybody has a different story. And yet those that had set up this experiment, these researchers began to watch and see that there was a common thread. That as they saw the things that were being written on the blackboard, there was something unique about when people on the spot had to think about what's my greatest regret. They began to write about times when they wished that something had been different. They said, my regret is never speaking up or not being a good spouse or the time I didn't spend with my family Never getting out of my comfort zone, not saying I love you, not applying to that school, not taking that step, not making the most of every day, not being a better friend. Did you, did you see the common thread there? It wasn't so much what people did do, it's what they had not done. How many people regret what they did not do? You know, the, the, the series that we're in, we're, we're calling If Only, and we're, we're basing this off of a passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, where Paul makes this statement. And if you remember, he's before a group of his friends. They're the leadership. They're the elders of the church in Ephesus. They've come to visit with him. They're pastors. They're deacons. They're leaders in the church. They're people that Paul knew extremely well. He had spent three years living with them. He started the church. He probably a good portion of them, he probably led them to Christ himself. And what he says to them is so powerful. He says, if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus gave to me. And he uses those words, if only. Words that we usually use in a slightly different way. Usually when we use the words, if only, we're talking about the past. If only I had. If only I had not. We think of it in this way. But what Paul is saying here is, if only I can If only I may be able to do this. If only God will help me to accomplish this. And if we want to live a life that pushes us past our regrets, at some point, we have to get outside of the past. We have to start with today. I think it means we have to switch our if only. What if we changed our if only from if only I had to if only I can? And we looked at the future more than we do history. So last week, what we did was we we took the rest of this passage. Verse 24 is kind of the centerpiece. We looked at this whole passage, and last week, we we took a look at the the first half, the the part before verse 24, where Paul talks to them about the life that he lived in front of them. And he says to them, basically this analogy, I want you to see the life that I've built. And they knew it. They had seen it. And one of the things is we see Paul's very confident and comfortable in living a life without regret because he knew what his role was, he knew what his purpose was, and he kept up with it, he lived it out. And we we made this observation last week that understanding our role enables us to live past our regrets. If we know what our purpose is, if we live with intentionality, if we're deliberate about how we live, then it helps us not to have to look back on our lives and go, boy, I wish I had. 
boy, I wish there were things that I had done. I wish that I had made the most of. And instead, we live a life with purpose. So last week, we we talked about this idea from the first half of what Paul says to the Ephesians and how Paul communicates, if only I can be a builder. And we talked about purpose, and we talked about integrity. We talked about humility. We talked about character. This week, we're going to look at the second half of this passage. And what Paul then goes on to say, and I I want you to track with this here today, Because he's not just up giving a speech to thousands of people. Paul's having a one-on-one with his friends here. Like This this is a really intimate moment where he's communicating to them. You'll see in just a moment the, the personal nature of this. And Paul gives them a whole different role that they're to fill. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul's speaking to these leaders and he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. The role that he calls them to is that of a shepherd. It's one that is seen over and over in Scripture. You see it in the Old Testament. Jesus uses it to describe himself in the New Testament. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. The actual word pastor that we use has the idea behind it as one who shepherds. This this word is all throughout Scripture. And when Paul talks to them about their role, When Paul challenges them to live a life that they will not regret, what does he say to them? I call you to be a shepherd. The role I want you to consider today is this one, that of a shepherd. If only I can be a shepherd. Now look, you need to think of it outside of the world of livestock, right? (laughs) Some of you might go, I'm not in agriculture. That's okay. Because the idea of shepherd here isn't your vocation. It's more your calling, it's more who you are. And I want to unpack this, and I, w- I want to show this to you today. And I don't want you to, to, to count yourself out because you think, well, this doesn't apply to me, or somehow I'm not a shepherd. I'm convinced that the truths Paul talks about here today are for every single one of us, no matter what season of life that we're in. I want to show you three things that Paul calls them to and how we can live out this role in our lives, I believe, in a way that eliminates a whole lot of regret Here's the first thing we hear Paul say. Number one, he says to them, and I know this is really basic, it's, it's, it's repetitious, but grab this. Number one, he says to them, be a shepherd. He's calling them to see the role that they have to be a shepherd. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Look, here's here's what we know about a shepherd. Shepherds lead. They have a flock that somehow is in front of them, and the shepherd gives leadership to that flock. Paul uses language here. He says, you need to take care of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Here's my question for you. What is the flock that the Holy Spirit has given you leadership over? Now, for some of you, it it might be a a pretty big deal. And you might go, well, I'm not a pastor. I I don't have that kind of leadership. No, but God has called you to a place of spiritual leadership somewhere. 
Like, where has he called you to that? For some, we might look at it and think it's, it's a pretty big deal. It might be in your job. It might be in the authority. It might be in the influence that you have. For others of you, and I think for many of us, it's in our families that our first priority as a shepherd is the role we serve as a grandparent or the role we serve as a parent. For some of you, you might go, well, I don't have any kind of leadership role. No, but you have influence. You have a circle of friends. You have a role you play in the community. You have what happens in your job. Somewhere you have been called to a place of leadership and shepherds lead. It's interesting, too, how Paul starts this whole verse out. He says, first of all, keep watch over yourself. <laughs> Before he talks about being the shepherd of any great group, he says, you need to shepherd yourself. You need to make sure that you're leading yourself, that you're caring for yourself, that you keep watch over yourself. But listen to how he says this in, in the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul writes, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to test. He says, look, it's important that you take a look at your own life, your own spiritual life, that you shepherd yourself because you're not gonna be of any good to shepherd anyone else if you disregard the state of your own spiritual life. Does that make sense? You're there, right? Okay, all right, good. How many of you have ever been on an airplane and they talk through like the, 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 all the warning stuff, you know, they give you all the instructions before you take off and the flight attendants go through all that stuff and they talk about when the oxygen masks drop. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many of you don't listen to that? How many of you actually listen to that less than you listen to me, right? You, you, right, you know what I'm saying? And we don't pay attention. However, we do know this. This is what they say. When the oxygen masks drop, if you're with a child or someone who needs assistance, make sure you put theirs on first, right? Isn't that what they say? No, what do they say? Put yours on first. Why? Well, because you're selfish. No, no, no. That's not why. Why do you put yours on first? Because you're of no good to them unless you're able to help them and you've taken care of yourself first. Does that make sense? So look, the same thing's true spiritually. If you're in a place where God's called you to lead your family or lead in your job or lead in your church, but you're not spiritually taking care of yourself, then you're only setting yourself up for failure. Let, let, me, let me show it to you this way. I think when Paul says this, he says it prophetically. Because if you fast forward a few decades, we, we have another message, message, that's not how you say that, is it? You have, no, <laughs> decades, message, gen A, it's got that kind of, you know, kind of... I don't know what's going on here. Uh, he got this other message that comes not from Paul to the church in Ephesus, but it comes from Jesus. You've heard of him, right? <laughs> Revelation chapter 2. The apostle John has a vision. Jesus says, John, I want you to give some messages to the seven key churches. He, he starts with Ephesus and he says this. He talks about all the good stuff they do. And then he says, yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstand was a symbol of the influence that they had. You see what he says here? He says, look, if you don't start with yourself and your love for Jesus, then at some point you lose that first love. It's not too long that you lose that influence as well. 
you lose that ability to shepherd as well. Paul says, keep watch over yourself. And then he says, keep watch over your flock. Keep watch over your flock. Look, we've already talked about this, and maybe you'll take just a moment, like right now even, to think, like, what's the flock that I've been called to? Is it my family? Is it my work? Yes, is it all that? Is it in the church? Somewhere you've been called to a place of influence and leadership, and you're to keep watch. You're to shepherd over your flock. Maybe the best picture of this to help us to kind of understand this is this, uh, this shepherd's staff, right, which is kind of the, the international symbol of shepherding, Right? <laughs> You see something that looks like this and you think of a, of a shepherd. And, and the reality is, it's because it's such a great picture of what a shepherd does. Because a shepherd will use this staff to be able to lead the sheep. And oftentimes, the leading doesn't happen up front. It happens from behind. And what they'll have to do is, if they, if they take their staff out like this, they're able to kind of herd and redirect and shape because it makes their arm all the more longer, right? They're able to do this, and they're able to lead those sheep in the process. And the staff's a great symbol that you're, you're not just passive. You're active. You are leading. You're actively involved. You direct with the staff, and you redirect with the staff. Do you know why it's got a hook on the end of it? Because sometimes you got to turn somebody a different direction. Like if, if a sheep's going the wrong way, that shepherd's able to reach out. And I just love the picture of kind of taking that little hook and just getting that sheep around the neck, right? Isn't that, uh, <laughs> isn't that how you like to think of that? Now, oftentimes, though, that's not how they would do it, actually. What they would do is if the sheep's moving and going the wrong direction, they'd be able to reach out and kind of in this little crook that's right here, you kind of reach out and you can get them by one of their little legs, and kind of get it in there and pick it up a little bit because then the little, little guy can't get any traction, right? Because you got him stopped. And then without hurting him, you're able to redirect him. Right? It's, a great, it's a great little tool to be able to lead and to direct, maybe even to redirect. You know what else this is a good tool for? When an enemy comes in the flock, we usually think of it like a wolf, right? And you need something to get that thing out of there. Sometimes it's okay for the shepherd to swing the staff because you're called to protect your flock. So this is a powerful tool of of leadership. You can lead with it, and you can direct with it, you can redirect with it. Sometimes you have to protect with it. You're, You're called, Scripture says, to lead the flock that God has entrusted to you. Listen to how Paul does this. Track with me here for a moment, because there's an urgency that's here in Paul's voice. Just before he talks about him being shepherds, listen to what he says. Acts chapter 20, verse 25. He says, now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a, how do you do, right? This is it, my last words, you better listen. Therefore, I declare to you that I am, listen to this phrase, that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. That got heavy quick, didn't it? I'm innocent of your blood. Why would he say that? That's kind of intense. He says it because he's reaching back into the Old Testament. And he's pulling from a story in the book of Ezekiel. And in the book of Ezekiel, which actually has a lot to say about being a shepherd, in the book of Ezekiel, there's this passage where, where God tells the people that they need to identify somebody to be the watchman. Somebody that if there's a time when there's an enemy that's coming, somebody that would warn the people. And look at what it says, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 5. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet, so that's the watchman's warning, right? Since they heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not heed the warning, 
Their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But, God says, I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. If you know how to save somebody and you don't give them that warning, you are accountable for their blood. That's heavy. Think about that in the context of your parenting. Think about that in the context of of when God gives you an opportunity to share your faith. I think about that in the context of being a pastor. I I hear Paul say this in a pretty intense way. He says, look, crew, I know how I lived my life. And I know I didn't hesitate to tell you the truth. So I'm not responsible for your blood. Last week, if you were here, if you remember, I I asked you at the beginning of the, or during the the worship time, if you'd pray for us, because we had three funerals that were scheduled for this past week. We ended up with four. And, um, and it, was, it, was, it, was quite a, it was quite a week, and uh, I, don't, I don't ever remember a time when we had that many in one week. And what was interesting is, you know, sometimes when you have a funeral, you, like, expect it. You don't put it on your calendar, but you're kind of like, oh, sister so-and-so has been sick a long time. We think she'll pass soon. Do you know what I mean, that kind of thing? Not a one of these. Every one of them was an unexpected tragedy. Two of them I, I had the honor to officiate. And with both of them, I just felt this urgency that I was supposed to talk to people about life and heaven and salvation. Life is short, heaven is real, and salvation is only found through Jesus Christ. There was a moment where people needed to hear that. At the the funeral on Friday, I I felt inclined to tell a story that had happened to me earlier in the week. On Tuesday, I had a, a series of three meetings down in Columbus on Tuesday our, for the fellowship that we're part of, the Assemblies of God. Our, our kind of state office is, is down in Columbus, and so I had to go down there for some meetings. And my first one was, was at 8 o'clock because I'm smart and because I'm going to schedule my time well, and I'm going to pack these things in there while I'm there, which if you want to be in Columbus at 8 o'clock, you probably ought to leave at 530. I'm not so smart after all. And I scheduled it the week after daylight saving time which means I lost another hour. I'm not as smart as I think, right? And so I leave the house, and it's dark, you know, and, it's, and I'm tired, and I got this road trip, so I got this audio book going, and I get down to Finley. Anybody been through Finley lately? It's fun, isn't it? It's an adventure, right? I mean, it's just all the construction and the barrier walls and all this kind of stuff. So we're cruising through there. It's dark. I'm just kind of moving, and I just said to myself, I just don't want to do it. Like, I just don't want to, I'm, I'm watching people, you know, kind of mess and weave in and out and all this kind of stuff. And there was this semi-truck in front of me, and I was just like, I like how fast he's going. And I like this audio book, and I've, I've, got, I've got plenty of time. I'm just going to hang tight behind this guy till we get past all this construction. I'm just going to kind of draft off of him for a little while, and I just kind of settled in there. If you've ever, if you've ever driven through Finley and you want, follow with me, and you want to go to Columbus... You know there's a turn you're supposed to take there, right? Sugar Towers, are you with me? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Guess who never saw him? Never saw him. Never saw him at all. I'm just watching the back of this semi-truck, listening to my audio book. I'm having a great time, you know? So I'm cruising along. And I had my GPS, like, set, like, for, for where I was going. But I know where I'm going. 
I've been drinking that drive for 20 years. I know where I'm going. I never like turned it on because I didn't want him talking to me and interrupting my audiobook. So I get going for a little ways and I'm like, I, I think I'm making pretty good time. I probably should see what time I'm, how did I get 20 minutes behind? Like I look at it, it's like I'm gonna be 20 to 30 minutes later and I'm like, how in the world did that happen? There must be construction. Literally for five minutes I'm driving going, what happened here? I don't know. And all of a sudden I went, oh, you dummy. You totally missed your turn. Like, I'm sure Dayton's nice in March, but that's not where I'm going, <laughs> right? I, I knew where I thought I was headed, but I was going in the wrong direction. And I needed some kind of wake-up call so that I'd get a course correction. Look, my concern is that's how some of you live your life. Like, if I asked you, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I want to go to heaven. But you might be going in the whole wrong direction, yeah, you might be coming to church on Sunday and you might be able to talk some of the Christian stuff and you listen to Christian music in your car, but have you really come to a point where you've made a decision that puts you in a place where Jesus is your Savior and your Lord? Like, like it's not enough to just listen to a guy preach a couple times a month. That's not what gets you saved. Look, I, I say this kind of with the same urgency that Paul says it. The story is this, that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, and he lived a life without any sin. His name's Jesus. And yet he died on a cross, and when he died on the cross, because he shed his blood for you and me, he paid the price for your sins and my sins. You know what that means? That means we can be forgiven. That's cool. Anybody thankful for forgiveness? Like I am. And that's why we refer to him as our savior. We like that. I'll sign up for forgiveness. He's our Savior, but we also refer to him as our Lord, which, which means that he's not only the one who forgives us, but he's the one that gives us direction in our lives. If you're looking for a purpose, you're only going to find it through him. And at some point, you and I have to make a decision to make him not just our Savior, but also our Lord. And we say, you know, I've, I've tried this on my own, and I just can't do it on my own anymore. And the only way that I'm going to find hope, and peace, and purpose, and grace, and meaning in this life and in the life after I die is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the truth that on this Sunday, I want to make sure that you all hear. Not just because I don't want your blood on my hands, but because I want you to know that truth. Whether you're sitting in this room or you're watching online or you're watching this on TV, God wants you to know not only that he loves you, but that he can make an incredible change in your life. So we're going to do something a little bit different than what we typically do. Mom, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for, for just a minute, no matter where you are. And don't get excited. There's a lot of sermon left. But just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And here's my question. Have you made Jesus your Savior and your Lord? And if you're not sure that you can answer that with a yes, and you want to have the hope, not just of being in heaven with him, not just of a life that's full today, but of surrendering your life to the one who created you and loves you and the only one who can bring a life change to you that matters then I want to give you that opportunity, not later, but right now. 
If you know that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, that you have the promise of being in heaven with him, would you just raise your hand right where you are right now? Like, you know it. You know it. Confident. That's cool. You can put your hands down. This room's full of people who raise their hand. Auditorium 2 is full of people who raise their hand. But if you know and you say today, I can't do it on my own anymore, and today I need to begin or begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, wherever you are, would you just raise your hand? That's you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. That's awesome. Nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, thank you. Today I need to begin or begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can raise your hand, put it right back down. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you raised your hand either one of those times, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive me and be my savior. I surrender my life to you. Be my living Lord. I need you in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I invite you to, to go to our Connection Center. Maybe you just want to know more about what it means to be a Christian. Stop by there after the service in the atrium. There are friends there who would love to pray with you. We have a Bible that we'd like to give to you that's, that's easy to read and understand, can help you to know more what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're watching online right now, in the comments, there's a link that you can click to find out more, or you can also go to our webpage. There's a link at the top that says Jesus and has more information about what it means to be a follower of Christ. But understand this, this all comes from, whether it be for us as a church or for you as individuals, what Paul has called us to. He's called us to be a shepherd, which then leads us to the second thing that he says. And, and this, this gets really interesting, I think. Number two, not only are we called to be a shepherd, but number two, Paul says this, beware of wolves. Number two, beware of wolves. When I first wrote these notes and I was reviewing them again this morning, I had put beware wolves. <laughs> and I was like, everybody's, everybody's going to start howling and grow hair. I got to put an of in there. You know, I saw the movie in the 80s. So it's not beware wolves. It's be aware of, beware of wolves. Here's what he said. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Paul says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. You see what he said there? He doesn't say, I'm pretty sure after I leave, wolves might come in, or on a bad day, they may come in. You see what he says there? Savage wolves will come in. Like he's saying, look, this, this is going to happen. So if it's going to happen, it'd probably be good if I knew how to recognize one. Real, real quick, can I give you four traits of a wolf? <laughs> if you're a shepherd, it's probably a good idea for you to know what a wolf looks like, right? And it's really good for you to know because Jesus tells us that sometimes wolves will come in sheep's, anybody? <laughs> Clothing. Like, they'll, they'll try to sneak in. So I need to know what a wolf looks like. Here's why. Because on one hand, you need to know what a wolf looks like so that you can shepherd the flock that you lead. You need to know what a wolf looks like. On the other hand, as your shepherd, if you, if you call Calvary your church home, then as your shepherd, I want you to know what a wolf looks like so you can help to protect the church, right? And then here's the other deal. It's interesting. Paul says that even from your own number, some of these wolves will come. 
Now, that's disheartening because I'd like to think that they, they only come from other places. It's only outsiders and weirdos. He says, though, that some of you on the inside, you might have a tendency to become a wolf, which then says, I, I probably need to watch for these things in myself. You probably need to watch for these things in yourself. Let's just be honest. All of us have a little wolf inside of us, don't we? Don't we? Right? I mean, I think all of us. It's in there. I wish I hadn't done that. All of us. I wish I hadn't done that. Okay, four things. How do you spot a wolf? Traits of a wolf. Number one, a wolf is selfish. A wolf is selfish. What drives a wolf? It's hunger. The only thing it's interested in is feeding itself. Self becomes the motivator. And this becomes really important. Look, if you find yourself driven by self, it may be time for some self-evaluation. If you find that what you think about for yourself is all about yourself, it might be time to step back from yourself and take a good look at yourself and say, is that my motivator? Paul had, had had some accusations thrown his way. So if you read the last part of what he says in Acts chapter 20, he has to defend this a little bit. Watch this. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Paul says, now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. Read this with me. It is more blessed to than to Did you know Jesus said that? A lot of us just think, that's just, that's just like an old saying. It's better to give than it is to receive. Actually, Jesus said it, Paul says. Even though it's not in the Gospels, we, we see that, that somewhere that there's this source that Jesus came with this. It's interesting. It, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Which leads me to, to do this. Buckle up, because some of you are afraid of this. I want to challenge you to give more. Oh, I knew he'd get to money at some point. I knew he was headed there. Look, I, I am challenging you to give more of your resource. Not just money, your time, your ability, who you are, what you uniquely have. And can I tell you, I, I, I make this statement today not out of a place of desperation. Can I, can I tell you, like, as, as a church, we're, we're doing pretty well. Like, for 2019, we're, we're already ahead of budget. We're over where we were a year ago. And that's because of your faithfulness in giving. Thank you for that. Could we use more? All God's people said. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. We use, you know why? Because we have great vision, and great vision requires great resource. But I want you to know, I'm not saying I challenge you to give more from a place of desperation or from a place of need. I'm saying this today because I care about you as your shepherd. What's the first trait we see in a wolf? It's selfishness. How do I break selfishness? It's when I give. And I say this not because the church needs more. I say this because I see some of what goes on in some of your lives. And I see the places of your frustration or your concern. 
And I wonder if you'd be either more profitable or less miserable if you were just more generous. Look, let's, let's start with finances because that's a good place for us to start. But just know this, there's a direct correlation between how we give and how we live. There's a direct correlation between how we give and how we live. And look, for some of you, just, just, just to be candid, I, I wonder if some of our financial struggles don't come because we disregard biblical truth. Whoa, 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 Chad. I wouldn't disregard biblical truth. Well, the reality is, if you're not obedient to what God said in his word about your finances, you're disobeying him. And here's what he says about that. I didn't say it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Anybody ever seen his blessing? Pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Look, I, I would just challenge you, if you're not in a place where you're practicing biblical financial principles, that you're not tithing and honoring God with the first of what he gives to you, and it says here right there that, that, that that's setting you up. And I, and I would take this far, far, far beyond your finances. Think, think about those resources, those things that God has given to you, your time, your gifts, your abilities, your influence, the opportunities that you have to speak into somebody else's life. Look, I just want to challenge you. Some of you struggle personally because you do not have a generous spirit in key areas of your life. And if I want to look out and guard against my inner wolf, I think it starts with generosity. It starts with me dealing with that little seed of selfishness that's inside of me. Because a wolf is selfish. And then the second thing we see in this passage is that a wolf is ruthless. Not only is the wolf driven by its hunger, but it will not spare the flock. It is completely driven by personal needs. Ruthlessness is selfishness in action. Look, let me, let me tell you a story about, about how ruthless a, a wolf can be and how a shepherd needs to respond. And I'm, I'm gonna give it to you in the pastoral context, but I want you to think about this in your context, the world where you shepherd. I remember years ago, years and years ago, I, was, I hadn't been a, a lead pastor for very long, a, a guy that's a mentor of mine and has really spoken into my life personally. I was listening to a sermon that he had preached and as I'm listening to this sermon, he talked about a time in his church where someone had come into the church and it was very clear that they did not have the best interests of the church in mind. Like they were very selfishly motivated. And so this pastor called this individual into his office and he said this, I love this. He said to him, look, he says, I don't know if you're a foolish sheep or if you're a wolf. So I'm just gonna assume you're a wolf. And I just want you to know that the shepherd is watching you. Ooh! Wow! I wouldn't want to be that guy. And I remember thinking, that was bold. Man. Till about a year, a year and a half later. And this is, this is back at the old church on Glendale. So don't you sit there and try to figure out who it is, right? So this is, this is a long time ago, back at the old church. I remember after service one Sunday, I looked out and saw this individual. And I had to question what they were up to. 
because they had come into the church and had motives that sure didn't seem healthy. And I knew that because I saw it. And they had theology that was wrong. And I knew that because I'd heard it with my own ears. And so I remember after service, I was walking out, and they were still sitting in the back of the sanctuary. And I remember I went over and sat down next to them. And I looked at them, and I said, you know, I don't know you real well. And I'm not so sure if you're a foolish sheep or if you're a wolf. So I'm just going to assume that you're a wolf. And I just want you to know, the shepherd's watching. Guess who never came back? And that was not a bad thing. Look, wherever it is that God's called you to shepherd, it's okay to swing the staff sometimes. Parents, sometimes you gotta pull that staff out. And you've gotta protect your family. There's times when you've gotta stand firm in your circle of influence and say, nah, that's not happening here. There's times when you gotta watch for that wolf because that wolf could care less about you. That wolf is selfless and they're ruthless. And shepherd, if you don't swing the staff, who's going to? A shepherd is selfish and a shepherd is ruthless. Can I tell you this too? No, not a shepherd. <laughs> oh man, I'm all fired up. We can edit some of this, right friends? Let's just, good grief. Should have stopped when we prayed earlier. Here's the third thing. A wolf is deceptive. Unlike your pastor, who's just dumb. A wolf is deceptive. <laughs> Why? Because a wolf will distort the truth to do whatever they need to do. Look, be careful that you don't believe everything that you hear. You know information is out there all over, right? Internet, TV, you're getting stuff all the time. And just because something says it's biblical teaching doesn't mean it's biblical teaching. In fact, here's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Look, you need to shepherd yourself and make sure that what you're buying into is truth because there's plenty of deception out there. Look, this is overly simplistic, but let me give you just a couple of litmus tests. How do, you, how do I spot truth? Number one, truth will line up with scripture. If it doesn't line up with scripture, it's not truth. Number two, truth will lift up Jesus. If it's pushing anybody else or anything else to the forefront, then it's not truth that you need to buy into. And number three, truth will build up the body of Christ. So be careful because a wolf is deceptive. Last one, just, just so you see this. A wolf is manipulative because the wolf will come in and the wolf will try to d d distort the truth in order to draw people to themselves. Look, a wolf is manipulative. So if someone is more concerned about being right than they are about making things right, do you get that? They're more concerned about being right than they are about making things right? You might be dealing with a wolf. And when someone's more concerned about you being on their side than they are actually concerned about you, you might be dealing with a wolf. And just know, this, this isn't from a place of like self-protection that I say this. This is from a place, because we're right here in the scripture. Like Paul's spelling this out. And just, just so you know and you see this, a wolf might sound good, but a wolf has one purpose. If a wolf's gonna go after a sheep, you know what they try to do? They have to make sure they separate them from the flock. And if they can get you away from the flock, that's when they can sink their teeth into you. And so if someone is trying or something is trying to pull you away or bring division, it might be a wolf. 
Now look, not everyone who is manipulative is a wolf. Some people are just manipulative, right? But if they're manipulative, there's a good chance they're not a healthy sheep. And that's certainly not the role of a shepherd. So what Paul says is, number one, you be a shepherd. Number two, you beware of wolves. And then number three, you be on your guard. He calls you parent. He calls you worker. He calls you friend. He calls you family member. He calls us Calvary to be on our guard. Acts chapter 20, verse 31. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. It's interesting. This is where we landed last week, and I think we land here again. Paul is calling them, and he's calling us to shepherd with courage. It won't always be easy, and some days are hard. Some situations you wish you weren't in. But he says, you shepherd with courage night and day. You be on your guard. You are called to shepherd courageously, to which some of you say, Look, I just, I just got this little world that I'm a part of. Does it really matter? Chad, you're a little uptight today. Is it really that important? I think the year was 2005. There was a, a group of, of shepherds in the country of Turkey kind of out in a mountainous region that there were a whole, a whole lot of these different families that would come together and share this grazing land. And so they had all these, all these sheep, hundreds and hundreds of sheep that were out there. And the shepherds were kind of off to the side at this time, and they were eating their breakfast. And they're kind of just watching the sheep, but just kind of taking it easy. They're just kind of eating their breakfast. And all of a sudden, one of the little sheep went right over to the edge of this cliff and just kind of, Wah! like, that was it. You gone, right? I mean, in that. Okay, so the, and they're like, whoa, what just happened? And then they watched as one after the other, all of the flocks, all of those sheep, one after the other, followed that one sheep and jumped over the side. 1,500 sheep. When it was done, 450 of them had died. The rest of them in the middle, and this isn't funny, the rest of them in the middle of the end landed on a big pile, and they were okay. But they lost so much livestock that in a country where the annual income at that time was $2,700, they lost over $100,000 worth of livestock. Why? Because they weren't keeping the guard of just one of those little guys. And the ripple effect was devastating. You shepherd with courage. Paul says this to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything in love. Look, friends, I challenge you in the world where you've been called the shepherd, that you shepherd with courage and that you shepherd with love. There's a story that's told of a young man hundreds of years ago. The pirates came and attacked his coastal village. And when they did, they kidnapped him and several others, took them back to their homeland. I mean, it's, it's, it's human trafficking. It's nothing new. And took them back to their homeland, and he was made a slave. For years, he was, he was sold to a very cruel uh, master. For years, he was stuck out in the middle of nowhere with no shelter, barely any clothes, and he was left to tend to a herd of pigs. 
He had been kind of a spoiled brat rich kid until he was kidnapped at age 16. But then when he was in this faraway country, his faith in Christ was renewed again. His family's faith. He found it for himself. And one day while he was out caring for these pigs, he had a vision. He heard this voice that told him to go back to the coast. And so he hiked for days and days and days, avoiding and and evading capture the whole way. And when he got to the coast, there was a ship that was ready to go back to his homeland. And it took him back to Britain. And he escaped where he had been in Ireland. His name was Patrick. You ever heard this story before? Look, it's March 17th and my last name's Gilligan. Did you think I was not going to talk about St. Patrick? It's interesting is after all those years of captivity in Ireland, when he got back to what we believe is modern-day Scotland, he had nothing but disdain for the Irish people. I don't blame him. They were his captors, his tormentors. And then God got a hold of his heart. God, God gave him a, they say it was either a strong dream or a vision in which he saw people from Ireland calling him to come back to them. He told his parents, and they said he was nuts. He told his friends, and they said, you must be crazy. But he studied for the priesthood. He bought himself a boat, and he went back to Ireland where he spent the rest of his life. We think of St. Patrick, and, and we think of pubs and wearing green and parties. It's not what it's about. We, we think of him driving the snakes out of Ireland. There's no proof of that. We, we think of him teaching about the Trinity with the shamrock. You ever heard that? We don't know if that's true. Here's what we do know. That this snot-nosed kid who got kidnapped and then God changed his heart and then he went back tells to us one of the greatest missionary stories of all time. Do you know what they often refer to Patrick as? The shepherd of Ireland. Because he was willing to say, outside of my agenda, outside of my own scars, outside of my unforgiveness, outside of my own plans, God, where you've called me to lead, I'll do that. Patrick just didn't give us a great day. There's a book called How the Irish Saved Civilization. You ever heard of that? I actually kind of like it. How the Irish Saved Civilization. (laughs) But they make an argument that Western civilization was saved in a time of barbarianism because of one guy named Patrick who was willing to shepherd the flock that God had called him to. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment because I want you to think about your life whether you're here in Auditorium 1 or Auditorium 2 or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, take a minute think about your own life. Where has God called you to shepherd? Will, will you lay down your own agenda and will you lay down your own desires and will you be willing to stand there with that shepherd's staff in your hand that God has given to you and when the wolves come, that you'll stand firm and when it comes time for you to sacrifice, that you'll be willing to do that and you'll say, for my family, I'll be courageous. For my coworkers, I'll show love. For my church, I'll swing at a wolf. Because I don't want to have regrets about this. I'm called to be a shepherd. Take a minute and think about the calling where God has put you. It doesn't matter your age, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you perceive to be your influence. Where you are right now, in this place, God is calling you to be a shepherd for him. The question is, will you say, if only I can be the shepherd that God has purposed me to be? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thanks for your word. Lord, your word that today kind of hit us in so many different places calls us to live a life without regret, a life that's intentional, a life that's deliberate, a life that's focused on on what you have created us to do. Lord, I, I pray for these shepherds that you would help these parents and grandparents to lead their families towards you. And then in the places of influence you've given us, in our jobs, in our schools, in our communities, in our friends, that we wouldn't set that influence down, but that we would pick it up and that we would shepherd for you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be shepherds of your church so that Calvary could be a place where in a world where there's too many lost people that we would see people come to know life change through Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be true to the calling you've given us. If only we can be shepherds for you. Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.